Good evening and a gemach sematoyva to everyone. Um, <clears throat> it's Erev Yom Kippur, so we have to get down to business and can't waste any time. It's important. So Shabbos, I gave a shir on the relationship of tshuva to the final redemption. Yom Kippur is a day of tshuva, and the times that we're living in right now is literally at the at the very, very, very epicenter of the time of when we are hoping and expecting and waiting for the coming of Mashiach, being that the subject is tshuva, so tshuva becomes a very relevant question. Shabbos, I couldn't record this year, so I'm going to try to redo the talk that I gave this past Shabbos so that uh, it can be available for those online. All right, so the Pasuk in Parshas Nitzavim, that's two weeks ago, um, we read, Perak Lamed, chapter 30, Pasuk Aleph. V'hoyuki yavayu alecha kol advarim When all these things will come upon you. Moshe Rabbeinu was talking about the future of the Jewish people, everything that's going to happen to them. There is a whole lot of prophecy about the Jewish people misbehaving, God getting upset at them, banishing them from their land, bringing upon them a lot of tsaris and a lot of suffering. And then the Pasik says, after all that will happen, the blessings and the curses that I've given before you, you will take to, into your heart amongst all the nations where God has scattered you, where Hashem, your God, has scattered you. You will take into your heart that this is no good. You'll finally realize that you made mistakes. And therefore, what the Pasuk says, you will return to God, to Hashem, you will listen to His voice, you will rededicate yourself to listening to God as all that I command you today, you, your children, with all your heart and all your soul. So there is a prediction over here in the Torah. Moshe is not commanding, he is relating. This is speaking of future events. There is going to be a rebellion. There is going to be consequences as for that rebellion, immense suffering. But in the end, you will get it and you will do tshuva. You will do repentance. You, your children, will have a sincere, all your heart and all your soul, a sincere desire to reconnect to, me, to Hashem, to become again um, dedicated to what Hashem has wants of us. What's going to happen as a result of that? Hashem is going to return your captives. We have a promise in the Torah about the coming of Mashiach. This is the primary place of Mashiach in the sense, not as a person Mashiach, but as a gathering of the exiles. Hashem will gather you back. He will have compassion upon you. He will return. He will gather you from all the nations. That Hashem had scattered you. And even if you will, you're, 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 even if 
your scattered ones are going to be at the edges of the heaven. From there, God will take you, and from there, He will bring you. And we will need to bring you over the Yachashem and and we'll bring you back to the land. Those are the Psukim. So it clearly, this is Chumash, right? So there's a clear um, statement by the greatest of all prophets, the Word of God, that these things will happen. And there is a statement, two things we see from here. Number one, there is a promise that we will do tshuva. Number two, Moshiach cannot come unless we do tshuva. Because that's what it says. You will do tshuva and then God will bring you back to Eretz Yisrael. These are the psukim parashas netzavim. Rambam takes this very seriously. In his laws for tshuva, that actually it's a minhag by some to study in the ten days um, of there's 10 chapters of Rambam in Hilchus Tshuva. So Rambam in his Laws of Tshuva says as follows. This is in Perek Shvi, the 7th chapter. All the prophets commanded on Tshuva. If you think about what was the main message of prophecy, that the prophets, Yermiyahu, Yeshayahu, were all sent to the Jewish people to awaken Tshuva. A return. So the Ramam says all prophets spoke about repentance. And that's why repentance is very, very special and very important. And then the Ramam adds, the Yisrael Negolim Yidin will not be redeemed unless they do tshuva. That we see in the Psukim. The Ramam is going to bring these Psukim. Where you see that we will not, Ramam is saying it as impossible, there's no other way. We will not be redeemed any other way, only through tshuva. Bekvarifticha Toira. The Torah has already promised us, Here the Ramam adds the other idea. It's not just that Moshiach, the gathering of the exiles, is dependent on tshuva, but that's dependent whether we will do it, and God forbid we might never do it, so then God forbid there will never be a, repent- a, a, a redemption. The Ramam says, the Torah promised, because you have a nevuah here, Hashem, Moshe said clearly, what will happen you will do tshuva in the end of days. Shesoyf Yisrael says tshuva besoyf kulusan in their end of their exile. Umiyad henigolin and instantly they're redeemed. Shem is waiting for the tshuva and then he will take us back. And he brings, which shenemar? He brings these psukim that I just quoted. Okay? So this is a psak halacha that we must do tshuva. Um, Ramban in next week's Torah portion, no, not next week's, this week's Torah portion, Pasha's Hazinu. Hazinu is a song. It's a song of a contract between God and Israel. And in that song, it really speaks of the love story, the tumultuous relationship that Hashem has with the Jewish people. This has not been an easy marriage. We got married, and from the very go-ahead, it was a problematic ma- marriage. It's interesting for those people that struggle in marriage and like wonder like, what's going on like this? That's the way when God gets married to the Jewish people, it's, it's, it, 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 the marriage is on the rocks from the beginning. And then Hashem says how angry he gets and how much he's going to punish us. And Hazinu is very, very harsh. Talking about how God can't believe it after all what, what he has done for us we are so foolish and we don't have the gratitude and so on and so forth. 
and how upset he gets and how he unleashes his anger. What's unique about Hazinu is this whole notion that Hashem is untouched and unfazed and cold and like just methodically and un is it gets blown out of the window when you learn Hazinu. And I know Mefarshim say when it says God's angry, he's not really angry, he's only showing anger in it. Despite all of that, why does he have to show all this emotion? It really shows that we really get to him in the deepest way because it's showing how deep his commitment and his relationship is to us. It's so powerful reading Hazinu in the sense to see how deeply, it's like a lot of people, I know, for instance, I usually don't, I'm not, I don't, I, I don't get angry much, I don't, but the only ones who could get me angry is, you know, my, my, my children, my wife, they can get me angry. No one else can get me angry. Why? Because the ones that are so deeply connected to you can push your buttons. We can push God's buttons like no one else because we're so deeply connected. So that's what you have in Pasha Sazinu. But in the end it says, God says, after all the suffering and after all that you've gone, in the end, I am going to get really, really, I'm going to turn my wrath not on you, but on your oppressors and on your persecutors. And I'm going to unleash the worst vengeance upon them for what they have done to you and I will console my people. So Nachmanides, it's a shame, I, gra I grabbed the Chumash, but I took the a Chumash that was, doesn't have the Ramban. It would be nice to read the words, but the, something like this, the Ramam says, Ein bedivrei hashira hazois. In this shira, there's not a word about tshuva. Over there in Hazinu, it speaks about Hashem reconciling with the Jewish people after they've done their suffering. And Rabban clearly says over there that the, the cleansing of the sin is from the suffering itself. It doesn't require the tshuva. And that Hashem promised He will redeem the Jewish people and it's not contingent on tshuva. The Ramban doesn't necessarily say that that's the way it is in that piece, but he says that's what you have in Parshas Hazinu. From the story of this week's Torah portion, in its of him, it is conditioning the return, Mashiach, on Tshuva, but not in Hazinu. What's also unique about that passage of the Ramban, the Ramban says, if we would have had this song and we know who authored it, we would know that it was some type of a fortune, future teller, someone who was a stargazer, some uh, astronomer or whatever, who can look into the stars and how do they call these astrologists who would have predicted we would have had to tilt our hats to that fellow and say wow because every single word of that song came to fruition sadly it came about it was unbelievably accurate he says how much more so when we have this from the greatest of all prophets who gave us this prophecy and we don't have to believe it we saw it and we felt it on our own skin. In any case, Ramban over there seems to say the possibility of a Moshiach and a return without tshuva. Unlike the Rambam, who says, no way around it. We have to do tshuva like it says in Pashas Nitzavim. Uh, well, it's a matter of the dispute. The Gemara Mesechta Sanhedrin, Tzadik Ches. The Gemara has the question whether Geula will only come through tshuva or Geula can come without tshuva. So here it says, um, Omar Rav, Rav makes a statement. Kolu, kol hakitsin, all the end dates that, this, that we've had from Daniel, from all the Nevi'im, have come to an end. 
The matter is now only dependent on repentance and good deeds. That's it. Let's think about this. Rav is a student of Rabbeinu HaKadosh Rebbe, who lived about 100 years after the destruction of the Beis Amigdash. So we're talking about 120 years after the destruction. That is, if we go back, that is about 1,800 years ago. Rav says, there's no reason to linger here anymore. We've done already the exile. Amen. you believe that? That's before all what the Jewish people have been through. He says, all the end dates are over. There's nothing withholding it. The only thing that we're waiting for is that we should repent. In other words, there are certain dates that we needed to pass in exile. There were certain, I mean, even that we couldn't, it's like a person goes sent to jail, and for good behavior they can be released early, but that's only after they've done a minimum time. So the minimum time, the Ram, Rav says in the Gemara, it's done already. Back then. The Rebbe always says this. The Rebbe says in the days of the Gemara, it was already said, can there be anybody now who can imagine that there's anything that's standing in the way other than, I don't know what, other than simply we have to do tshuva. Shmuel Omar, Shmuel argues on Rav, and he says, It is enough for a mourner to stand in his mourning. That means, according to Rashi, God, we, 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 speak about, we speak about the end of suffering. Mashiach is like an end of our pain. He's coming to heal us. But there's a partner in this. God is also pained by exile. In truth, his pain exceeds our pain because his capability of feeling is infinitely, his capacity of experience is infinitely more intense than ours. So when he has sorrow and pain, it's infinite pain and infinite sorrow. His mourning is an endless mourning. And therefore, we can't be selfish and say it's dependent on us doing tshuva. What's with his pain? It's enough for the mourner to, to be in his mourning. God doesn't have to suffer longer just because we can't get our act together. And therefore, Shmuel says it's not dependent on tshuva. Amazing. Then the Gemara says, Ketanoi. The Gemara says, well, the argument of Rav and Shmuel, they were, they were sages of the Talmud. Really, we can trace this argument back to an earlier time when you have the sages of the Mishnah argue, this, argue the same argument. If Yidin do tshuva, they will be redeemed. They won't be redeemed. That's Rebbe Leezer. He says it's dependent on tshuva. Rebbe Yeshua. Rebbe Yeshua says to him, If they don't do tshuva, they're not redeemed. It can't be... But rather, if they don't do voluntary tshuva, God is going to put corner them in a corner and squeeze the tshuva out of them. That's what he says. So he's not saying that we don't need any tshuva, but he's saying it's not like we have to step up to the plate and do that tshuva, because if we're not going to do it, we're going to do it anyways. It's going to happen. So it's a, it's a definite. Anyways, then the Gemara goes ahead and continues this argument between Rebeliezer and Yeshua, where each of them brings, tries to convince the other that they're right, arguments back and forth for a while. Finally, Rabbi Yeshua has the last argument and Rabbi Yezer is silent. According to that, it would seem, Rabbi, Rabbi Yeshua's argument is that it's not dependent on tshuva. Rabbi Yezer concedes, he's quiet. If that's the case, who seems to have won the argument? Rabbi Yeshua. 
which would seem to be saying that we don't need tshuva. The Mepharshim asked the question, how come Maimonides, paskening halacha, doesn't paskin like Rabbi Yeshua? If Rabbi Yeshua was the champion in this, in this argument, he won, the, he won the debate. How come the Rambam doesn't paskin? But uh, they discussed this already. But the only halacha sefer we have regarding Moshiach is Rambam. And therefore we have to take the Rambam very seriously. Even though the Rambam doesn't say this in the laws of Moshiach, which is in the in Hilchis Malachim, in the laws of kings, Rambam says this in the laws of tshuva. And that is that what? That Moshiach cannot come without tshuva. So we accept that. We must have tshuva. The question, however, is what does tshuva mean? What kind of tshuva is necessary? Are we talking about all the Jewish people becoming religious? Is that what tshuva means? Everybody needs to become observant. I don't know, 18 million Jews that are out there, and maybe there's 2 million observant Jews. 16 million Jews need to start keeping Shabbos kosher um, and, 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 and uh, putting on tefillin and all the mitzvahs. That would be very disheartening and, 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 and not feasible in our minds. And if that's the case, we would kind of fall into despair and give up on Mashiach. Um, but maybe, you know, God promised. Maybe that's what's necessary. And somehow things are going to happen in the world. They're going to cause a change in the Jewish heart and get the Jewish people to go. But obviously, in the, if that would be the case, it would be very, very, very hard for us to accept and believe that Mashiach is coming any moment. So, um, but that's not an argument. If that's what's needed, it's needed. Fine. It's difficult, but it's needed. Um, but that, again, when we say people need to become fully observant, how about the observant people? We have our, we have our own problems. That means all people have to stop saying Lashon Hara, right? Never, no one will ever say Lashon Hara. Everybody, the, those who demand that when we do tshuva, we should get rid of our smartphones. <laughs> everybody's going to get... Uh, okay, is that what's accept, expected in tshuva? Are we talking about a full-fledged tshuva? We cannot say that. The reason we cannot say that is from these very verses itself that I just mentioned before, the Chumash. Oh, here it is. These psukim that I mentioned in Nitzavim that speak from the very place where it says we need tshuva seems to be saying that you don't need complete tshuva. Because the verse says like this, you will do tshuva, you will listen to Hashem's voice, like all I command you. Then it says, right away, Hashem will then gather your exiles. Even if you're in the far-flung places, God will bring you back to your land. And then a Pasuk Vav, it says, after He brings you back to your land, He will circumcise your heart. Which means He will unplug, He will get rid of the Sahara. Now we might say, well, okay, that's a different thing. It's one thing to do tshuva while we still have a Yetzirah, but we accept not to listen to our evil inclination. And then God will chop the evil inclination will yank the Yetzirah out of our hearts. Okay, but, that, but that's one thing. But the verse continues, uh, and you will return Now that you have a pure heart, now, means, no, I'm sorry, is not now. Va'ata over here means and you. But va'ata and you will return, you will listen to his voice. It's not an absolute It's not irrefutable proof because you can learn that the viata is going back to this is all provided that you will return 
But that's not what it seems like. The Atatoshev seems to be saying, what will happen after I will gather the exiles is you will do tshuva. So the verses are, seem to imply two tshuvas, an initial tshuva and a secondary tshuva. There's two phases, a tshuva that happens before the geula and a tshuva that happens after the geula. So when we talk about tshuva on a national scale, that all Jews will return to observance, serving God, and those that are observing now will, will upgrade their observance to a much greater level of observance, that seems to happen after kibbutz Goliath, after the latest age. What is stated over here in short in the Psukim in Sefer Yecheskel, you have pure, clear prophecies to support that. That the main tshuva of the Jewish people is going to happen only after Hashem is going to bring us to the land. This is in Yecheskel, Perek, um, Lamed Vav. You have it. Um, Very powerful chapter. It says, Perik, it is two places. Earlier, Perik, I think, Chavav, but then Alamed Vav. So says Hashem, Pasik Chavbez, 36, verse 22, Ezekiel. Say to the Jewish people, Hashem, so says God. Hashem, so says God, your God. It's not for your sake that I am doing it. Meaning, it's not because you will deserve the redemption. The redemption is not about you. It's interesting. Similar to what Shmuel says, God is also suffering. So Hashem says, I'm not, gonna do, I'm not doing it for your sake. From my, maybe you don't deserve it. But for my holy name, that you desecrated amongst the nations. You made... God says, you made the biggest chilol Hashem amongst the nations. Not because of our misbehavior amongst the nations. The very idea that Jews are in exile, that looks bad on God. Okay, like parents uh, sometimes will uh, feel, feel like shamed if their children are not dressed well. I mean, I'm the rich guy in town, so on and so forth, and you look like a shmata, you're my child, you better be dressed up to par. We are God's children, we're the princes and princesses, the noblemen of the world. And if we are wandering homeless, imagine a, a, an affluent person has a child who's sleeping on the street. It's like the biggest embarrassment for the parent. They're shamed. And for whatever reason, they can't stop that. It, it, it aggravates them so much. This is the biggest chilol Hashem that Jews are in exile. So that's what the Pasuk is saying. Therefore, I'm says, at a certain point, I'm going to put an end to it. I'm going to sanctify my great name, that's desecrated amongst the nations. Then the Pasuk says, I will bring you back from the nations. I will gather you from all the land, and I will bring you back onto your land. The famous Pasuk we're going to repeat tomorrow night, Yom Kippur, and we're going to say it every time by each prayer of Yom Kippur, we're going to be saying this Pasuk. And here you know where the source is. V'zarakti aleichem, I will sprinkle upon you mayim tahorim, the purifying waters. Utahartem, I will cleanse your heart. Imagine that. The, the, the purifying waters, divine waters that are going to flow into our souls and into our hearts to clean it, to purify it. Mikol to from all your um, 
tumma, from all your defilement, and from all your filth, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. A new heart and a new spirit. I'm surprised that no one made songs on these psukim. You know, they always look, they, they have these same psukim and they make the Jewish songs, they're like 10 psukim that they keep on making. Come on, let's, Ashabara. These are such fantastic psukim. Someone has got to make some really good songs on this. In any case, I will help you. I'm skipping around. I'm going to increase your economy. I'm going to increase the produce in Israel. And what the fields are going to produce. So you should not be any more shame of hunger. God's children should never go hungry again. Amongst the nations. Think about what it looked like when they came to, re- to, to free the camps, the Jews and the ghettos emaciated that, that was the biggest if there was ever a moment of Chilal Hashem was when they walked in to redeem and saw what, what took place on God's children in this world that's the Chilal Hashem and then so after Hashem says I will repair all of this bring you back to Israel you will be honored then you will do tshuva then you will only recall your evil ways and your deeds that weren't good, and then you will do tshuva. So you see from these psukim that tshuva will only happen after, complete tshuva will only happen after kibbutz goliath. So then we have to say that the tshuva that we're talking, that there is, and again, from the psukim I mentioned over here in Itzavim as well, that there is two, two levels of tshuva. What are they? So one idea is, the Arachayim HaKadosh says, on the, those psukim, he says that He's not talking about first and later that he doesn't mention. But he's mentioning the repetition. How come it says you will do tshuva? In the Pasuk before God gathers your exile. And then it says again, you will do tshuva. You will listen to his voice. So he says, what's the repetition? So he says the repetition is because there's different elements in our tshuva. And what are the different elements? He says the three main things that Jews need to do. We need to study Torah. That is very, very important for God that we study His Torah. Number two, we refrain from doing the things that irritate Him. Certain things God really, really, really dislikes. Those are all the prohibitive commandments. And then there is the observance of the positive commandments. These are three parts of observance. Studying the no's and the yes in observance. So He says, when it says in the beginning that you will listen there it says, Vishamato Bekol Hashem. You will listen to God's voice, means you will study Torah. Now he doesn't say this, that this explicitly is going to happen before Mashiach comes. He doesn't say this. But it would make sense to add that in, in what's happening. That before Mashiach comes, there is going to be a big Torah study explosion in the world. That you're seeing. Now, you see, Jewish people never studied so much Torah. Because Torah was made so accessible, and people really study. People have it on the go. You have it on your, on your iPads, phones. Every way, Torah is made so easy, so accessible. People drive. Women never study Torah. And we have a generation today where women are huge scholars. They're studying. They know everything. It's incredible. This has never been. It's, it's, like a, it's, it's the holy information age as well as the general information age. 
So that's something that, that is, happens before. But then he says, later when it says you will do tshuva again, is re referring to actual observance. Because we all know that we might, I don't want to say any negative before Yom Kippur, we all know that we usually know much more than we do. We learn, we, we, we know what we should be doing. We don't always have the ability to translate that into our daily lives. So maybe perhaps that's a phase that happens later. But the, at least the, 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 the knowledge gets out there before. That's part of the tshuva. That's according to the Archaim. According to the um, Sephornu, he makes a very interesting statement. He says that Vishrafta, because again, we're trying to figure out what is the tshuva that's necessary. We say tshuva, what, what, what is this tshuva? So the, the, the Sephornu says, Vishrafta Adashem Elokecha means that you will do tshuva with the intentions of connecting to God. That's going to be. So he sees it more as the, the, the uniqueness of that turn to God is going to be one where we are seeking the relationship with Hashem. It's not just we are doing things. Oh, he says, and then he says, uh, 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 um, It's a shame. Again, I, 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 I wanted to, to read to you. Um... But you, he says when you're going to do mitzvahs, you're going to do it not mitzvahs anashim melumada. You're not going to do them habitually. So according to him, it's not like there was a lack of observance. Maybe there was observance. But there was a lack of refined observance, deeper observance. A, a, an observance that reflects the panemius of being a Jew, the inner element, the, 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 the connection, like what the Baal Shem Tov did when the Baal Shem Tov woke the heart of the Jewish people. Rahman Aliba Boy, the Hashem wants the heart. The Rambam in in uh, the Rambam seems to be saying something similar in Hilchis, in the Rambam in Mesech the Sanhedrin, Perek Aleph. I quoted this Rambam a few weeks ago when we discussed that special Parsha Shoftim, and then I was talking about how the Rambam predicts that before Mashiach comes, prophecy is going to return to the Jewish people. There is going to be a return of Nevuah to the Jewish people. So the Rambam says these words, Vashiva there's a Nevuah, I will return your judges. This is a Mishnah Gimel Perek Aleph of Sanhedrin. Then you're going to be considered a city of righteousness. Hear these words, beautiful words of the Rambam. This will be, without a shadow of a doubt, when Hashem is going to prepare, Hashem is going to condition the hearts of people, the tirbez chusam and their Merits are going to increase. Uchukasam and their longing, l'shem yizbarach to Hashem, u'letorah and to Torah, v'tigadol chachmasam and their wisdom will become increased. When will this happen? Lifnei bol hamashiach, before Mashiach comes. So the Rambam is saying that before Mashiach comes, which there's going to be a turning to God, a quest. People's merits and a quest to Hashem and to His Torah. 
And why is that going to happen? Because they're going to have great wisdom. When? Before Mashiach comes. So, first of all, this is similar to Sephornu, because we're talking not about being another Chumrah. You're taking on another Chumrah. Maybe, yes, taking on a Chumrah, being stricter and things, but because of something real and deep and, a, and an in, inner identification and an inner connection with Hashem. It's possible to say, and this is what it would seem to imply, that what the Rambam is talking about has already been fulfilled, not necessarily to the Jewish people as a whole. We're going to get to talk about the Jewish people as a whole, but we're going to get that soon. But to a great, a great amount of Jews, and this is something that is not an event that happens one day, but rather a period of time. It seems to me that this is what the Ramam is talking about, is very clearly is the Hasidic movement. When the Balshemtov came to Eastern European Jews, Jews were very religious, but they lost their soul of Judaism. In other words, it wasn't about connection, it was about being great, excelling over everybody else in your Torah knowledge, being very smart, being very meticulous, being very from, but there was no one on the other end of that relationship. And the Baal Shem Tov came and he woke up and he brought the God, godliness back into the Judaism. He revealed the Amunah Pshuta, the simple faith, and, that, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he taught us how to daven again. He taught us how to sing again. He taught us how to love each other again. He brought the joy back into the Judaism. He brought the depth of feeling into Judaism. And the Baal Shem Tov begins and his great students continue and they bring an enormous amount of understanding and learning in the inner dimensions of Torah. Pneumius Torah, the inner light of the Torah. That's called, what does the Rambam mean? Before Mashiach will come, there will be increased wisdom. In general, we know that the early generations had people who knew more Torah, the sages, the days, the Rishonim, great scholars, great, great, great. And generally we know that in terms of scholarly um, um, uh, mastery, the earlier generations were much greater masters than the later generations. Yet the Rambam says that before Mashiach comes, there's going to be Tigadel Chachmas. Now, if you would be speaking after Mashiach, no, after Mashiach, there's going to be knowledge of God. Mashiach is going to be the great teacher who's going to teach. But before Mashiach comes, what is going to be the great knowledge? And the answer is, yes, the knowledge of the revealed part of the Torah, we might argue, gets diminished that was given by, by Har Sinai and the earlier rabbis had a greater grasp on it. On the other hand, we have more access to it because we have more printed books. So I would say, perhaps, to be fair, I would say something like this. The scholars themselves were greater back then. You can't compare the Achronim to the Rishonim, the later sages to the earlier. So they were much greater, sharper. That is... But, but what we don't either have in the later times, we don't have the same levels of ignorance. In the days of Chazal, there were ignoramuses that were so ignorant, they knew nothing. And you find that also in the early generations. Today's days, everybody has access to study, shiurim, things. So, there's, you don't, so the, the knowledge is spread much more than, than before, but you also don't have those super geniuses like once were.
That's in as much as we're dealing with the revealed part of the Torah. We're dealing with the esoteric secrets of the Torah. That increases as we get closer to Mashiach. Because Hashem drops Torah into the world in two points of history. He drops the revealed part of the Torah primarily in the beginning of history. He drops the soul of Torah into the world primarily in the days of Mashiach. So we're, we're, we're working off two powerful lights. So the farther we go from one, it gets a little weaker. But as we're getting farther from one light, we're moving closer to the other light. So in terms of the Pneumius Torah is only increasing and increasing and increasing the further we get the Arizal and then the Balshemtov and so forth. So we can say that the Hasidic movement is a tshuva movement. Its entire reception, inception is a tshuva movement. It's actually the Balshemtov, the the Alter Rebbe of Shneir Zalman of Liadi. <clears throat> before Hasidim were labeled Hasidim, how did how did the name how did the sect of Hasidic Jews get their name, the pious ones, the Hasidim. Where did they get it? Did they choose it? Truth is, they didn't even choose it. It was the non-Hasidic camp that called the, 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 the Hasidim the pious ones, which is actually very telling. They, they, this, this was a name that they called the Hasidic group. They wanted to like say, oh, the Frum guys, the, 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 the extra, whatever. They, but whatever it is, the name became the Hasidim. The Alter Rebbe, however, before that name became accepted, the Alter Rebbe wanted the Hasidim to be called the Bali Tshuva. That his movement is a Tshuva movement. So when we're talking, and this is the Tshuva before Mashiach comes. So it spans two and a half centuries. And that's the fulfillment of Ashav Hashem Alekech Okay, that could be the Tshuva. But now let's continue and say, what we know already is it can't be that everybody's going to do Tshuva. And it has to be that it is some people doing tshuva. What's the degree of the tshuva? We spoke two things. Or that it, 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 does it mean literal observance or does it mean a deeper observance? Seems to be that they we're talking about a deeper connection and a deeper. Tshuva in the sense of returning the neshama, the haruach tashuv the spirit gets closer to God. That's the tshuva. Now to further understand this, what we're really saying is that the tshuva that we're talking about over here is a tenua of tshuva. It's a movement of tshuva. It doesn't mean necessarily a full, complete, comprehensive, full implemented tshuva of the observance in all of Yiddishkeit. It's a movement that's in the world for tshuva. Which in addition to the Hasidic movement, in the 60s and in the 70s, the Jewish world was moved, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, it just continued, a powerful return to Judaism from the, those who were born, it wasn't their fault, born in homes where Judaism was not taught. People that see themselves, there's no secular Jew. Yom Kippur teaches us that there's no secular Jew. Every Jew is holy. But those who imagine themselves to be secular, imagine themselves to be um, mundane and unrelated to God and to holiness. Well, something caused a trigger and a change. That's part of this tshuva movement that was promised, and it was actually called a tshuva movement. Right? And behind it was the messianic powers, was the powers of the Giyula. The Rebbe sent out his shluchim across the world, 
and began this, started the flames of tshuva. They started igniting it. And then it went past Chabad and the Hasidic movement. It became a wildfire across the world where you have hundreds of Bali tshuva yeshivas, entire Bali tshuva communities, what we call late beginners, people who some later time in their life come to Judaism. This is unheard of. People that have no reason to be connected, no reason to want to live a life in a modern world that is seen as so restrictive. Why are they doing it? Unless their souls want to connect. So, um, what is to guarantee, kind of? We, we say, we have a promise. Hashem Hashem is going to return, is going to cause you to do tshuva. What is the... the um, behind this, this tshuva that is going to grip the Jewish people before Mashiach comes. So what we're going to say is interesting. First, let's analyze on a deeper level why is it that we need tshuva? Why can't the ge'ula come if the Jewish people do not do tshuva? Why, is, why do we need tshuva? So on Shabbos, I shared three exciting ideas. Rabshner Zalman of Liyadi in his Lakuta Torah seems to imply that from what Chazal used the term, he, 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 ex, he extracts from when Chazal say the term, Ein Yisrael Negolin Elo Betshuva, the Jewish people are not redeemed any other way but with Tshuva, seems to imply that the Tshuva is not only necessary because we sinned. Because we sinned, we're not going to get out of here until we clean up our mess. So we have to do Tshuva. It's possible, as I said before, it's possible, as I mentioned before, that we can get cleansed from sins just because we suffered so much. Like the Ramban says in Pasha Sazinu, that it's not necessarily that it needs a tshuva. It's just a, a cleansing that it's going to happen, that, that we, 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 the, the suffering itself purges the soul and cleans it. But over the years, Rav Shneer Zalman says, the Alter Rebbe says, the reason we need tshuva is even if we hadn't sinned, even if we're all perfect tzaddikim, imagine Jews never sinned, and we would always have the first base amigdash, we would be stuck with the first base amigdash, we would never have the third one. It wouldn't be like at a certain point, okay, let's now upgrade it to the third one. It wouldn't happen. Because in order to have the spiritual revelation the godly revelation that represents the messianic age cannot happen only unless there is tshuva. That means it's not because of sins. It's because tshuva is a component of Mashiach. Why is tshuva a component of Mashiach? So on Shabbos I mentioned three ideas. One idea of why you need tshuva for Mashiach is what the Mittler Rebbe says. That when Mashiach will come, there is going to be an explosion of deeper knowledge. The highest teachings of Torah are going to be revealed. Torah Chadasha Me'iti Teitzei. Torah, a new Torah is going to come out from God. Now, we know there's no such a thing as a new Torah. We were taught from when we were little children, our Torah is Eitz Chayim Hula Machazikim Ba. It's a tree of life. It will never be exchanged. Zosa Torah, one of the one of the 13 principles of Maimonides, Zosa Torah lo will never be exchanged, will never have another Torah. We will always have this Torah. So what does it mean we will have a new Torah? It means that suddenly this Torah will unravel its secrets. 
the, to- the Torah will unravel its secrets in such a magnificent way, we're suddenly going to have such an explosion of deeper knowledge, it's going to make whatever we learned till that time seem like it's another Torah. That's what it says, that the, new t- the Torah that's going to come when Mashiach comes, it says if we compare the two Torahs, the, the old Torah is going to, comp- the Medrash says this, is going to look like silliness. Hevel, he, imagine that. It's considered Hevel legabe Torah Yishol Mashiach. Where is all that great knowledge going to come from? Who is going to be the... And the Ramam describes the time of Mashiach as a time of... Um, the world will not be occupied with anything else, only to know God, which is that new Torah that's going to come, knowledge of God. It's going to be pouring out, led primarily through Mashiach himself. And the Rambam says in Hilchus Tshuva that the Melech HaMoshiach is going to be a Navi Gadol, almost in prophecy, almost as great as Moshe, but far wiser than Shlomo HaMelech, the wisest of people ever to live. His knowledge is going to be, he's going to channel an infinite fountain of knowledge. It's going to flow uninterruptly and it's forever going to grow. Now, the Mittel Rebbe, the second Chabad Rebbe, says an amazing thing. He says the secrets that Moshiach Tzedkenu is going to reveal are not revealed today, not only because we are not worthy for it, not only because we don't have the brain power, we don't have the minds to be able to absorb it, not only because of that. He says they cannot be sheared because they're too private. God, it's like a a person can't shear things that are very, very essential to who they are like when someone goes to a therapist, they don't open their mouth. It's like all day long they can sit and yak and talk about every stupidity in the world. Why? Because now I'm not asking you stupidity and I want to know about your pains and aches. I want to know the stuff that are going on inside. And it's not only because I'm embarrassed to share it, it's just that what is inside is inside. So the secrets of the Torah that revealed Mashiach is so private, it's not revealable. So Hasidus refers to it as darkness. It's a darkness. Light means what I can project, what I can reveal. This is called darkness. It's a darkness that's higher than light. So the coming of Mashiach means that the supernal darkness will be converted to light. What is not revealable will be revealed. Now we know that anything that happens from above, we need to trigger it from below. Hashem is our shadow. Just like a shadow moves in every direction you move, if you move to the east, your shadow will go to you, with you to the east. You move to the west, the shadow will go to the west in every direction. So too, Hashem is our shadow. So it's called Serusa Dilatata. We have to do an arousal below to cause a revelation from above. So the Mittler Rebbe says, in order for us to take darkness and move it into light, for, for Hashem's darkness to be converted to light, we need to take darkness and turn it into light. What darkness? do we take and convert to light? We take our dark stupidity and turn it into light. When we take our sins and convert them into merits, that's darkness to light. And when darkness is transformed to light down here in the, in the material world, in, in our world, um, 
it turns darkness to light in the transcendental divine realm as well. That is the reason why we must have tshuva for Mashiach to come, a conversion of darkness to light. Another explanation in Hasidus is because tshuva comes from what's Mashiach? Mashiach, similar to this idea but a little different, Mashiach is the revelation of the infinite. Until Mashiach comes, God has been channeling to the world only an adjusted, limited, very minuscule projection of himself that we are able to handle, a tiny little bit. Mashiach comes, it's called Hashem is going to have a home in this world. What happens in your home? What makes your home so special? A home is a place where you don't adjust. When you go anywhere outside of your home, you're adjusting. You're kind of conditioning yourself to fit. Why does it feel so good to be at home? Because in your home, you relax, you kick your shoes off, and you are as you are. Hashem wants to have a home in this world means that in our physical, lowly world, God will be revealed as He truly is, without limitations, without boundaries, without constrictions. That means the pure infinite will be revealed. For that to happen, we need to do something infinite. Now what can we do that's infinite? We have to serve Hashem, okay. But when, when I'm serving Hashem, why am I serving? I have a finite reason that's causing me to serve. My motivation is a finite motivation. If I love Hashem, how much do I love Him? I love Hashem with a finite love. How do I know I love Hashem for a finite love? Because sometimes if I have to give up or delay my lunch for five minutes, for God, I'm not ready to do that. That means that something else is more important to me. That means my love to God is not so infinite, right? And the same is the convictions of our thinking. Why do we, we have reasons why we want to do a mitzvah. It's all finite. So how can we serve Hashem infinitely in order to trigger the infinite light? Well, there's one infinite expression of a Jew. You know what that is? Related to Jewish guilt. <laughs> it's when we do the wrong things and 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 something is, and we're getting distanced and distanced and distanced and distanced and distanced. And then suddenly it's getting closer to Yom Kippur and it's getting closer to Shana and we feel uncomfortable and we're getting like, Ugh, I just don't feel good. What's really happening? The little spark of Hashem that's inside of us that's truly infinite is not getting nourished. It's not communicating and it's pained. The more it's oppressed, the more suppressed it gets, the more it builds. Its frustration builds and builds and builds and builds. What's tshuva? Tshuva is an explosion. It's when I can't bear the separation anymore. That's infinite. That's the reason why only tshuva will draw down the infinite. Then there's a third thing we spoke on Shabbos that has to do with the novelty, but I don't want to go into that right now. Maybe another time. We'll leave that for now. So what do we see from here? That the Jewish people need, we need to do tshuva. Okay. So, now, um, what is going to guarantee that great tshuva? So it must be from the psukim that it's not just going to happen from our own. Check with, my son is in the front, someone is supposed to come now. It says, it says, it will be on that day, Hashem will blow with a big shofar, and the, those that are lost, I'm sorry for the little interruption. It's just that we were going to have someone sell a lot. I mean, 
Um, sorry, just wanted to make sure that he wasn't calling. So um, it says, It will be on that day. A big shofar will blast. And those that are lost in the land of Ashur, or those that are lost in the land of Egypt, they will bow down to God. on the holy mountain, So the previous Chabad Rebbe, in a discourse, said during the Holocaust, in the year 1943, it's an amazing discourse, short discourse, in Yiddish, three chapters. And in that discourse, he talks about two psukim we say in Rosh Hashanah. Speaking about God blowing a shofar. One says, Va'adna Hashem b'shoifar yiska. And God will blow a shofar. V'holach b'saros temon. And he will go out in the stormy winds of Yemen. That's one pasuk. It's another pasuk that I just mentioned. It will be on that day, great day. God will blow the shofar. It doesn't say who will blow. It will be blown with the great shofar. And that's the concept of shofar shel Moshiach. And what are we expecting? We're expecting one day to hear the shofar. And, and Jews have been kind of taught that, that there's going to be a shofar sound. I can't tell you that the Rebbe said that will not happen, but he definitely gives another interpretation to the shofar gadol. The previous Rebbe and then the, and then the seventh Rebbe, our Rebbe, repeated it in a mimer in 19... Um, uh, uh, 1968 and what is that he says amazing thing the previous Rebbe is then speaking of both current events and he, pro and he predicts a future event like a prophet unbelievable he predicts a future event first he says the first passage that it says that God is going to go out in the storm winds is referring to huge global events that are going to shake the, the entire humanity and is really going to shake up the Jewish people. He says because the Jewish people have become deeply indifferent, deeply assimilated to the point that if you would say to them in, during, in the midst of their assimilation, hey, Mashiach is here, come back to Israel, we're going to live in Eretz Yisrael, they'll say, get out of here, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy in my life, I'm, I have absolutely zero interest. They don't feel or appreciate or sense in any way that they have a need for Mashiach. They don't identify with Judaism. So he says that God is going to create an event that is going to shake the world. And he's referring there to the Holocaust itself. And the Jews who pretended not to be Jewish or thought they can get away by pretending to be Gentiles, they will be reminded that they too are Jewish. He says that was the first preparation for the redemption. The first massive preparation for the Giyula. It shook the world from the bottom. He says, but after that, we're going to arrive to the second Pasuk. will blow with the great shofar. What is that referring to? He says there is going to be a powerful tshuva call. God, and he says it's going to be a roof. to translate that in English, a fatherly, affectionate call for return. It's like a father calling his children that got, you ran, you know, something, you go with your children somewhere and they run off and you don't know where they are, you start calling frantically, you want them to come back. 
That's what he says, God will start calling the Jewish people. And God's call to the Jewish people, that's the shofar gadol. That's the great shofar. And it's going to touch the inner point of Jewish hearts, and it's going to awaken in them. Those that don't feel Jewish, he says, those that became so entrenched in the pleasures of this world, that's what the word, that's what the word ashur means. Ashur means from the word fortune. Those who've had such good fortune, they're multimillionaires. They live in Beverly Hills with fancy mansions and big, beautiful, and they're fine. No problem. What's lacking in my life? These Jews will awaken. Suddenly they'll have a spiritual yearning. That's the show for Godel. And he says it will happen. So in 1967, when the Six-Day War happened, and there was such spectacular godly miracles to the Jewish people in Israel, and that was televised for the whole world to see. The entire world was stunned and shocked at that inexplicable victory. Tiny little Israel with a dilapidated army was surrounded by remember how many countries that wanted to, and much powerful armies armed by the Russians, by the Soviets. We stood no chance. And in six days, such a miracle didn't happen since we went out of Egypt. It was like a show of God's mercy and love. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe then said in this mimer in 1968, he says, that shofar gadol is blowing already. And that's the shofar that's calling the Jewish people back. And the Rebbe says in a talk that he gives Shabbos Bereshis, 1968, in a second Fabring, and you can look it up, powerful words. He says he should know that the Six-Day War, what it did for the Jewish people in terms of Jewish pride and Jewish identity, was more than the shake-up that happened during the Holocaust. He says during the Holocaust, sadly, a lot of Jews kind of felt that they, those that were not in the inferno, felt that they can kind of remove their guilt feelings by just writing a check. Because they didn't feel that, that, and only after that, it kind of shocked people. But during the time, people didn't really, but the second love, the loving call, that touched everybody. The Rebbe then was begging that's why the Rebbe then started the Tefillin campaign. Get Jews, let's cash in on this. This is the show for Gadol, bringing Jews back. It's pulling the Jewish people back. This is very powerful. And we know that translated into the big tshuva movement and return and all that. I'm not saying it started in 1967. It started already. But you see, the hippies, that whole age, was that people that rege- and Jews were very, very, very deeply involved in that whole movement. Um, rejected their fathers, their parents' materialism. The whole American dream of making money didn't sit well with the young generation. They wanted love. They didn't know what they want, but they wanted something more. They wanted something deeper. That's that quest. That's that Shoifer Gadol. And obviously, it's still in the air. We need to cash into it. That's Shoifer Gadol, and that's the impact. That's the tshuva. But just to conclude, I do want to say, the Rebbe in 1991... We have to see progress. We have to see progress. The world is coming to its end. In 1991, the Rebbe made the most astonishing statement ever. Everybody's saying, the previous Chabad Rebbe, during the Holocaust, said, announced, that we've reached a new phase in history. Now it is that if we do tshuva immediately, we get the geula immediately. La'alta la'tshuva, la'alta la'geula. Tshuva now, Mashiach now. That's what the previous Rebbe said. But, you, but conditioned it on tshuva. And, and he didn't just make a statement. He 
you say, put his money where his mouth is. He invested all of his strength and inspired all of his Hasidim to go out and reach the Jewish people, rebuild Judaism in America, get Jews involved in, 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 in observance, create Jewish identity, Jewish pride, all part of this tshuva. But again, it demanded tshuva. In 1991, the Rebbe announced that there's no reason why Mashiach is not here. Everything that needs to be done for the Geula was done already. If you're going to say, and I'm going to read it to you because you, you have to hear it in his words. If you're going to say, well, Chazal say, Mashiach cannot come unless we do tshuva. So he says these words. This is in Parshas Vayechi. By the way, that's an unbelievable fabrengen, an unbelievable talk the Rebbe gave Parshas Vayechi, um, 57-51. The Rebbe was then very personally offended because a great a rabbi in Israel decided, for whatever reason, that he, he, he was threatening the secular Jews in Israel and saying that if they don't turn to God and start doing tshuva, God forbid there is going to be another holocaust. And the Rebbe got so upset, like, um, how can someone say that? You don't speak that way. And neither than that, it's not true. And the Rebbe says that all the secular Jews in Israel are totally innocent. Because it's not like they were born and made a choice. They were born in homes where they were taught that religion and observance is not important. It's not their fault. If anything, three generations ago, you can talk about people making a conscious, clear choice to drop their Judaism. These generations are people that are born in absolute ignorance. It's not their fault. There's no reason why they deserve to be punished. That's what he says. But then he says, um, if anything, you want to help out, reach out to them. Bring them closer. Um, am I the wrong one? Oh, it says non base. Yeah, it's the wrong one. Nun Aleph, Parshas Vayechi. But then he says, um, We already ended all the end dates. Already in the time of the Gemara, remember I said that to you earlier, <coughs> after such a long Golos, for thousands of years, already more than 1900 years of exile, and the Mashiach still didn't come. Ibn the main question, maybe Mashiach isn't there because we didn't do tshuva. These are the words of the leader of the Jewish people, the tzaddik yisod olam, who's sensitive, who feels and knows the truth. What does he say? Kvar asu tshuva. We've done the tshuva already. Should I, and he says, why? He says, shaharei ein lach adam Yisrael. There isn't a Jew, shaloi hearer tshuva, that did not have a thought of tshuva. Loirak pamachas, not only once, Many times during his life, there isn't a Jew that did not have a thought of tshuva. And the Gemara says that one thought of tshuva changes you from a rasha to a tzaddik, from a wicked person to a tzaddik. And there isn't a Jew. How does the Rebbe know there isn't a Jew? Maybe there's a Jew who hasn't thought tshuva. The Rebbe says, no, across the board, there isn't a Jew. Not once, many times. One explanation we can say because the Rebbe has his big public menorahs everywhere. 
So when people are going holiday shopping, thinking of Christmas because he's married to a non-Jewish woman and he doesn't even care about Jews, he means he's celebrating Christmas, but he walks into the mall and he sees the menorah and he might not even approach, but deep inside, he suddenly remembers that he's Jewish and I should, I'm a Jew. And that thought that I'm a Jew, and like, oi, I should know a little bit more, or be, that's tshuva. So the Rebbe kind of took care of it that there isn't a Jew. Someone is gonna remind you, say, are you Jewish? And maybe even even denied it, but he did tshuva. That's one level. But I would like to share with you just one fascinating thing that got me so excited. And that is, and by the way, in this talk, the Rebbe does mention about the thousands of people that all of these of these children that grew up not knowing anything else. He says, lately we're seeing how they're coming back in droves. And that's part of the tshuva. But then there is something. The pre tzaddik, Reb Tzaddik HaKohen of Lublin, Parshas Vayelech, brings a medrash, but let me first, I'll get to the medrash in a second. The pre tzaddik, this is what we're going to conclude with this. It says in last week's Torah portion, Parshas Vayelech, it says, Omar Bayoimahu, it says that you're going to go through immense suffering. Moshe tells Israel, the Jewish people, you go through immense suffering. And you're going to say on that day, because God is not amongst me. These bad stuff happened to me. It's because I'm godless. I've forsaken God. Hashem is not with me. I'm finally realizing it. And what does Hashem respond? What does Moshe say is going to happen? And I will hide my face. In other words, you will say it's because God is not with me, and I'm going to continue. I'm going to hide my face. I'll call Ara on all the bad that's happening, and you're going to wonder where is God? Where is God during this suffering? What happened to God? God said, "I'm hiding." The worst type of curse that we have that Hashem says, "I will hide. I'll make believe it's not happening." Wow. So the the Ramban asks, Nachmanides asks. Why is God continuing to hide after we realized our mistake? It's one thing when we're not realizing our mistake. But the Pasuk says, you will say on that day, it's, it's happening because, because Hashem is not amongst me. If it's happening because Hashem is not, you did tshuva, that itself is tshuva. You're realizing that your pathetic state that you're in is because you're, in, you're, you're forsaking God. That's tshuva. So why is Hashem continuing the punishment? I will continue hiding my face and make believe I don't see you suffering. So Nachmanides answers a harsh answer. Nachmanides says, because you're only saying it in your heart. You're not verbalizing it. You're not doing proper tshuva. Just that one thought is not enough. So Hashem is not going to accept that. It's Nachmanides. So Reb Tzaddik, Hasidic master, is not going to take that lying down. Fights, fights the Ramban. And he says, what are you talking about? Like the Rebbe says right over here. The Gemara says that even a totally wicked person, if he thinks tshuva in his heart, it's considered tshuva halachically. Because it's a halacha. If a man who's known to be the town sinner, imagine, there's a guy who everybody knows, this guy is up to no good all the time. He's always doing stuff that's uh, he's notorious. He goes over to a woman and kindly in a teasing way says, Will you marry me? It's just you, the biggest lowlife. And he give, but but he says, yeah. Will you? And she and she no. And he says, I know you will marry me. I'm a lowlife. But you know what? 
I'm giving you, I'm betrothing you on the condition that I am a perfect tzaddik. And she accepts it. On that condition, she accepts it. So the Gemara says she's not Mikudeshes because we don't know that he did tshuva. But she needs a divorce, a get, because she's a Suffolk Mikudeshes. She's in doubt that she's married to this guy. It's possible. So she can't get out of it unless she will go and get an official divorce from him because she agreed. And we don't know. Maybe he's a tzaddik. Well, he just came out on Yom Kippur from McDonald's eating a, a, uh, a, a, a ham sandwich. Oh, I don't know if you sell ham sandwiches at McDonald's. I haven't been. But, um, um, I, I, and, he's, and he's getting into his, um, uh, uh, um, you know, a, uh, a Corvette. Like, it's like, what do you mean with his non-Jewish girlfriend? Okay, so like, and he says to this Rebetzin walking home that will you marry me that I'm a perfect tzaddik? And she says yes. And, and, and we say that, I'm sorry, she, she now is married. I mean, I'm kidding, she's not a Rebetzin, she's not married yet because she can't get married to someone else, but okay, a, a girl. The frumest, holiest girl in town. So what happens? So why? So the Gemara says because maybe he had a thought of truth. And if he had a thought of tshuva, he's considered halachically a perfect tzaddik. So therefore, and he says, and Rav Tzaddik says, well, that's what happened in Mitzrayim. In Mitzrayim, he says, there too we had a redemption. And he brings a medrish shemos. This, 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 this has got me so excited. There are certain things that get me excited. You'll find gems. Rav Tzaddik, I owe him a big, big thank you because he found me a medrash here that's really going to stick to me. The medrash says, it says in, in Mitzrayim that what turned the tables and brought the redemption? It says, Vayar Hashem, Hashem saw, the Jews were crying out, Hashem saw. And then it says, Vayeda Elohim, and God knew. He knew, God knew something. And then the redemption starts. What did he know? So the Gemara gives a whole, the medrash gives a whole bunch of things that God knew. Rabbanan Omri, the Rabbanan say, Vayar Elohim that God saw, Sha'asu Tshuva that they did Tshuva. Now we know that in the, in, 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 during Egypt, Jews were steeped in idolatry. So Habainanim, the, the, the average people, they did Tshuva. How about the wicked? Here what the Medrash says. Vegam HaRishayim and also the wicked, Hiriru Lasa Tshuva. They thought about doing tshuva. Not even that they, they thought tshuva. They thought about doing tshuva. They considered it. And that, was, and that God saw. And, and through that came the redemption. It says the fig, gave, started budding. Oh, but what is this? Is the, the, my favorite line is the next line. Vayeda Elohim, God knew. People didn't know what's going on in their friends. A person's best friend didn't know the tshuva that was happening in his friend's heart, in his fellow's heart. So we can walk around today, these Jews, these people who are dark predictions, speak about the simulation and how bad, and sometimes you have rabbis who say horrible things about the Jewish people, how bad the situation, how bleak and how dark, and how Mashiach can't come, and because of, or that God is going to, God forbid, obliterate the five-fifths, four-fifths of the Jewish people like happened in Mitzrayim, God forbid. 
The Medrash says, you don't know what's happening in the hearts of another Jew, but there is one person who does know. That's what the Rebbe is saying. No one understands. A Rebbe knows because he's the heart of the Jewish people. He's the Neshema Kalelis. Just like the Medrash says, the Eberster knows. A Rebbe is the root soul of Israel. He feels the Jewish people. And he made such a statement that every single Jew did tshuva. So we can take him on his word. So therefore, Rav Tzaddik says, let me just conclude Rav Tzaddik. Rav Tzaddik says, we have to read the Pasuk different than everybody else. God would not be punishing us after we did tshuva. So what does it say? I will hide my face. He says... Let's read it carefully. Not I will hide my face from all your suffering. It says, I'll call her ra. Now, ra can mean two things. Ra means bad. So it can mean the suffering, the bad stuff that is happening, or it can mean the bad stuff that you have done. It says, after you did tshuva, vanoichi astir astir ponai, I am going to hide my face. I'll call hurrah from all your sins. I won't see your sins anymore. All your sins will be washed away. So that's where we are right now. We've done tshuva already. There's nothing left other than Mashiach. It's now dependent on Mashiach Tzadkenu. It's dependent on the revelation from above. The only thing we can do, I believe, is welcome Mashiach now. That's it. We need to welcome him. Recognize him. Welcome him, accept him, and that's where we're standing. There are certain times in history, this is the most crucial, the most deepest moment of all of history. Kabbalah's Panei Moshiach Tzedkenu. I spoke about it before Rosh Hashanah. We did it, started Rosh Hashanah. We should continue doing it during Yom Kippur. Please daven, when you daven, Shmona Esrei on Yom Kippur. Zachreinu L'chaim, remember me for life. Don't just think about yourself and your family, your loved ones. Think about the love of all of our hearts. Mashiach Tzedkenu, who himself needs life. As the Gemara Masech Tzedkenu says, Mashiach pleads for life. Don't stop for a moment thinking about Zachreinu L'chaim, Uchsoiv L'chaim Tovim. By Ne'ilah, dedicate your thoughts and your hearts. You have no idea how powerful you are. Your thoughts are mega. Your thoughts and your feelings, and definitely if it's involved with emotion, is super mega. It's like infinitely powerful. And if we daven our thoughts for Mashiach Tzadkenu, let him already have the green light to come and redeem the Jewish people. Give him life so that we can see our king in all of his glory and all of his light. May it be now, now, and now.